Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I am pleased to bring you the audio from the fellowship night that took place on March 21st. It was the first fellowship night that we had under the title of Christ Covenant Church. Reformation Roundtable is a podcast that is the audio diary of our goal, our vision, if you will, to see a reformed church planted in Lewis County. We think that the glories of the Reformation are something that would bless the people in our neighborhood, the people in our community, and we would love nothing more than to see a reformed church grow and thrive and prosper here in Lewis County. We're getting closer all the time, and right now we are looking to have 10 founding families before we go live. If you would like to join us, if you would like to come alongside as we plow the ground here in Lewis County, we would love to have you be a part of this. You can head on over to lewiscounty.church and you'll find all of our past discussions and you will find an events tab. And the events tab will show what is coming up. For example, on Thursday nights, we have a discussion it's actually our round table. That's where the Reformation round table name came from. We all get together and we discuss some type of theological topic. This week, we're going to be meeting on Thursday, March 25th, and we're going to be talking about and discussing spiritual gifts and the role that they play in the church and how we ought to think about spiritual gifts. So if you'd like to join us for that, definitely go to lewiscounty.church, go to the events tab, and you'll get all the information that you need there. We would love to have you be a part of this and just know that you are so welcome to join us. Um, that's enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the audio from our fellowship night. I hope you're blessed by it and I hope you join us. Thanks very much for listening. All right. Welcome, everybody, to our fellowship night, March 21st. <clears throat> Got a few announcements to make before we get started. Did everybody get a... Uh, you guys need something? A bunch more up here. You guys don't have a, everybody's got these? Okay, great. I'm so glad you guys could come. I've got a couple announcements to make, then we'll, we'll dive right in. Um, so Thursday night, this coming Thursday night at 7.15, um, there is a, I'm going to call, I'm going to say a, um, well, it is what it is. He's a pastoral candidate. Uh, the only reason why I hesitated a little bit there is because um, we're still kind of working out the, uh, uh, when we'll actually need a pastor. Um, and since we're still not officially a church yet, we are, this is a fellowship, uh, we're having a fellowship night. Um, we've got a guy that's actually pastoring a church down in Arizona. And uh, due to COVID, I think that, um, that church is, um, is, it could be wrapping up for him in July. So he might, he, he's gonna be available in July um, and he might be a great fit for us. Um, but we're going to do a little meet. Um, we're going to meet him via Zoom this Thursday night at 7.15. Um, so on, on Thursday night, you'll see at the front of your bullets in there, we usually do a, 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 some type of a roundtable discussion. Um, and we'll be meeting this Thursday uh, at the Mount Capra downtown office. We'll be meeting Pater, his name's Pater, via Zoom. Um, but you guys don't have to be there to meet him via Zoom because you can just log in. I can send out a link, and I will send out a link. I'll try to get it out tomorrow or Tuesday. Uh, but then you can uh, uh, log in, uh, check out Pater. It's not going to be really a, um, it's not going to be like an official interview. It's going to be maybe 15 or 20 minutes, just kind of like you get a chance to meet him, say hello, let him kind of get a chance to meet us, find out what's going on with him, that kind of thing. 
when we actually do a, an official interview, we'll, um, we'll, we'll have a lot more uh, constructive things to ask and whatnot. But one of the cool things the CREC does is it puts out something called a ministry data uh, form, where they uh, ask the potential candidates a bunch of questions as it relates to the CREC. And um, so we've got one of those on him. And so he's given us tons of really, really good data. So this will just be a chance for us to uh, just friendly hello. I invited his, uh, his wife and his three boys to join us too. So be kind of fun. Um, after that, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. So the last four or five weeks of our Thursday night gatherings, we've been discussing a lot of the nuts and bolts of church, planting a church. So finances, bylaws, we've been uh, pastoral candidates. Um, we, we talk about the liturgy, the order of service. Um, this week, we're going we're gonna to just talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, we're not going to be primarily focusing on cessationism or continuationism, but we're going to be focusing on spiritual gifts. So if you want to partake of that conversation, come prepared to discuss that. So, um, and specifically, spiritual gifts as they relate to the Lord's Day and how we, how we use them on the Lord's Day. So come prepared to that. Um, one of the things, uh, so for those of you who are new... There is a church up in Bothell known, known as Trinity Church. The pastor there is uh, Dave Hatcher, and um, he told me that, um, that he just is finishing up a 14-part sermon series on raising covenant children. So that, that relates back to the book that we're going through, and uh, it's called Children of the Conquest, and uh, I looked through it. I haven't listened to any of them yet, but Dave's a, an excellent preacher. I'll send that out also with the email. Uh, there's there's 14, 14 different sermons on covenant child um, uh, raising them. So, um, so the, the, what we're doing tonight, our fellowship night, as well as our discussions on Thursday night, those are all available via podcast. You can go to lewiscounty.church, that's on the front of your bulletin, uh, and you can look at our previous discussions, listen to rather. Uh, and you can also find us on iTunes, the podcast on iTunes, by searching Reformation Roundtable. Um, that's all my announcements. Uh, before we jump in, does anybody have any prayer requests? that they would like to add to the list. Yes, Luke? I don't know if Ed Wallace is on there now, He's, but yep. yeah, I just wanted to make sure we're praying for them. Is there any update? Just It's not looking, not, not okay. looking yep. great, not much improvement. So. He's on here for sure. Thanks, yep. Luke. Any, any other prayer requests? Yeah, Charles. Okay. Jack. Mariah. Yep, Mariah's on here as well. Thank you, Mariah Corbin. He, uh, sorry, Charles said uh, Will's Crohn's disease. Got my uh, blue colored pencil. Break that down. Yes, Ava. Okay, salvation. Salvation. Got it. Thanks, Ava. Anything else? Yeah. Um, he's supposed to have been released by now, but uh, David Coates, the pastor in the... Do you mean James? Is it James? I well, David. I thought it was James, but I've got him down yeah, here. Right. Coates. <laughs> and I, and I, Coates. Yeah, Pastor Coates. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. Did um, you do abortion? I wanted to uh, cross off James if I had that wrong. <laughs> Did you do abortion? Yep, got that on there. Yeah, Elise. Warren to become Christian. Yes, okay. Warren and... Thank you for that. Okay. Great. Okay. We're going to jump in and get started then. So uh, if you look in your order of service, you'll see um, that we have just completed the announcements and we're going to go into the meditation now. So our meditation comes from Psalm 127, 
and it's verse 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you tonight, we ask that you would send your spirit to guide us in all truth and godliness. We desire what is true, good, and beautiful because those things are perfect gifts from you. May our words, our meditations, our prayers, and our bodies be acceptable in your sight. We ask this in the good and strong name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Amen. Rise with me as we worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, you have called us here tonight in all the world across this vast country, in this state and county, and at this very time and in this very place. It is you who have called us. We are your people and have been sealed with Christ, who you sent to save us from our miserable sin. We hear your voice, and as your sheep we come. We ask that as you have shown perfect faithfulness toward us, we would respond by the power of the Holy Spirit with reverence, awe, and obedience to you. May we walk always in your ways and keep your statutes always before us for the glory of our King Jesus. Amen. Amen. We will now sing, Bless the Man that Fears Jehovah. One of the things that we are working toward as a church in understanding covenant theology and understanding covenant children is the involvement of those little Christians that are among us that we work toward uh, parenting well and parenting in a godly manner. And so as part of that, we want to encourage the involvement of young people as part of our service tonight. So, Charles is going to help us tonight by uh, leading Bless the Man That Fears Jehovah. Bless the man that fears Jehovah and that walketh in his ways. Thou shalt eat of thy hands labor and be prospered all thy days. Like a vine with fruit abounding in thy house thy wife is found. Amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Amen. 
We've now come to the part in our order of service where we confess our sins. Listen to this exhortation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Liturgies shape our lives. We are all, each, made in the image of God. And therefore, we are like God in ways we often don't think of. We serve a God of order, a God of hierarchy, a God who puts certain created beings in charge of other created beings. Since he is a God of order, and we are made in his image, we also desire order. Liturgies, an order of things, will shape us whether we are being intentional with them or ignoring them. We are aiming to be intentional with our liturgy, our order of things. We also know that we fall far short of the glory of the God we image. Therefore, just as we ought to be constantly refining the liturgies in our own lives, our daily quiet times, our ministries of mercy, our private prayers and petitions, etc., just as we ought to be constantly reforming those areas of our own lives, Christ Covenant Church... I like the sound of that. <laughs> Christ Covenant Church is continuing to refine the liturgy we will follow on the Lord's Day. Part of that refinement is going to take place tonight. It will be somewhat different than last week. And next week will be somewhat different than this week. As we refine, as we reform, the changes might become less apparent. But we will never cease to pursue further liturgical reformation for the glory of Christ the head of this church. God is a covenant-keeping God. He chooses his people without regard to merit and makes them promises, good promises. Our job is to believe them. Covenant renewal worship, what we are practicing for now, helps us to remember and believe the promises that God makes to us. Covenant renewal worship is our response to the work or the service that the Lord is engaging in. When we enter the presence of a holy God, our first response ought to be to confess our sins, from which we can believe that God will cleanse us. Another way to look at this is one must wash up before dinner, or you must wipe your feet before you come into someone's house. In confession, we ask God to wash us clean, and he promises us that he will. After we are clean and are ready for the feast, God sanctifies us through the work of consecration. This fancy word simply means that God is going to make us more like Jesus. Scripture, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, cuts us up into a new creation, an image bearer who more gloriously resembles Christ. Since God has called us, cleansed us, and consecrated us, he then, being rich in mercy, feeds us. But he doesn't feed us takeout doesn't feed us frozen pizza or, for you kids, even delicious peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He feeds us Jesus. During communion, God gives us the broken body and shed blood of his Son, his only Son, Jesus Christ. In the Lord's Supper, God feeds us Jesus so that we might be strengthened in our faith in him, our hope in the resurrection of the body, and our love for Christ and for one another. Finally, 
After we have feasted on Christ, our loving Father commissions us or sends us back into the world with a charge or marching orders for bringing forth his kingdom as well as a benediction, a blessing. And this blessing comes from a Father who loves us and is proud of us, proud of his sons and his daughters. That is the order of worship. And if you look in your, if you look in your order of service, you'll see we've been called into God's presence and it is now time for us to confess our sins. So, in the spirit of worshiping with our whole bodies, if you are willing and able, we will, we will kneel together. I will offer a prayer of confession, and then we'll all read a corporate confession together, which is underneath the confession in your bulletin. Let's, let's kneel together before God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt, and there is none who does good, not even one. Lord, we come before you knowing that apart from your spirit, there is not one here who would seek after you. We are here because of your loving kindness and your mercy. And it is upon this mercy we fall. Let us confess our sins together. Gracious and merciful Father, we are a people of unclean hands, unclean lips, and unclean hearts. We confess to you that we have sinned and have fallen short in countless ways of your glory and holiness. We confess our iniquity. We are sorry for our sin. Do not forsake us, O Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus, Make haste to help us, O Lord, our salvation. Amen. Now is the time to confess your own personal sins to God silently. We ask all this in the good and strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. People of God, hear the good news. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks, thanks be to God. Please join me in singing, There is a Fount, we're going to do verses 1 through 4. Thank you. 
together our common faith by reciting the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is not Roman Catholic. It is Catholic, which means universal, but it is not Roman Catholic. And so as we say this, remember that we are reciting something that Christians have been reciting for almost 2,000 years. So, Christian, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now respond to the word of the Lord by, uh, by uh, responding to Psalm 29. Um, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. 
Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You guys can go ahead and have a seat for this next song. Let us sing Psalm 23, the King of Love, my shepherd is. consecration phase. Consecration, like I said in the exhortation, is the time where God changes us. He changes us into a greater, more representative image of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our elder brother. And the primary means by which, Jesus, by which he does this is through his holy word. The word of Christ, the word made flesh, those are, that is what we are being changed by. And so as we read the scripture, let us stand together as we read from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. I'm going to begin by reading Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the command, the rules and the regulations that Yahweh your God charged to teach you, to you for you, to observe in the land that you are about to cross over into, to take possession of it, 
so that you may revere Yahweh your God by keeping all his statutes and his commandments that I am commanding you, you and your children and grandchildren, all the days of your life, and so you may live long lives. You shall hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe these instructions so that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, promised you in the land with milk and honey. Hear, Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is unique, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall recite them to your children, and you shall talk about them at the time of your living in your house, and at the time of your going on the road, and at the time of your lying down, and at the time of your rising up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as an emblem between your eyes. And you shall write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And then it will happen that when Yahweh your God will bring you to the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and fine cities that you did not build, and houses full of all sorts of good things that you did not fill, and hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and you have eaten your fill, then take care for yourself, so that you do not forget Yahweh, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. You shall fear Yahweh your God, and you shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods from the gods of the people who are all around you, for Yahweh your God is a jealous God in your midst, so that the anger of Yahweh your God would be kindled, and he would destroy you from the face of the earth. You should not put Yahweh your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall dil diligently keep the commandments of Yahweh your God and his legal provisions and his rules that he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the eyes of Yahweh, so that it shall go well for you, and so that you may go and you may take possession of all the good land that Yahweh swore for your ancestors by driving out all of your enemies before you, just as Yahweh has promised. When your child asks you in the future, saying, what is the meaning of the legal provisions that the rules and the regulations that Yahweh our God commanded for you? Then you shall say to your child, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and Yahweh brought us out from Egypt with a strong hand. And Yahweh gave great and awesome signs and wonders in Egypt against Pharaoh and against his entire household in our presence. But he brought us out from there in order to bring us here to give, give us the land that he swore to our ancestors. And so Yahweh commanded us to observe all these rules and to revere Yahweh our God for our benefit in all the days that we live. And it, and it is today, and it shall be righteous for us if we diligently observe and do all of this commandment before Yahweh our God as he has commanded us. And then we'll continue with Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, in order that it may be well with you, and you may live a long time on the earth. And fathers, do not make your children angry, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Sweet. 
and um, we're going to need to add his family to the prayer request list because uh, Sarah was not feeling well. So, Listen to Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Pray with me. God in heaven, we come before you as your people, and we know that you hear us. You don't promise to hear the prayers of everyone, but to those who belong to you, you promise to hear us. You say you can come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, we are petitioning you right now for the many, many prayer requests that come that we bring to you now. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified in this mission church, that this mission church would bring you glory in all that we say and do. We pray that you would knit our hearts together as, as one community, and that as a community we would be unified. We pray that we would be a breath of fresh air to our community and that the community would be blessed and see the glory of God through us. We pray that you would br please bring families to join us in our mission church as we seek 10 founding households, Lord. We pray that you would even exceed this with 11, 12, 15, 20. Lord, we pray that you would give the growth. We pray for wisdom, reverence, and a shared conviction as we form our liturgy, and for wisdom and providence as we select a pastor. We pray, Father, that the families that come, the households that are here, would be blessed, that they would be encouraged in, in our fellowship, and that they would be most of all encouraged to be more like Jesus and to love Jesus more. And Lord, we now bring to you the health and well-being for the many people um, within our community, within our fellowship, and, and outside even. Um, we pray, Father, for comfort and courage for the So family as they deal with the loss of the, of the patriarch. We pray for our Andrew Dumoulin's health. Uh, thank you that you've given him uh, success, uh, but also we pray, Father, you give him courage as he adjusts to a new diet. Um, pray for continued healing for Judy Meyer's heart, and thank you so much that you're giving her um, uh, improvement. We also pray that you would heal Paul Meyer's uh, precancer and that you would continue to heal Leslie's heart. Uh, we pray, Lord, for Mariah Corbin, this young, this young um, lady who is, um, has been given such an awful diagnosis of brain cancer, Lord, um, it would be nothing for you to speak the word and cure her, and we ask that you would. Uh, we think of Ed Wallace and the, and the absolute pillar he is in the community. We think of him um, hooked to life support right now, clinging, um, waiting for the deliverance. His family's waiting for deliverance, Lord, and we ask that you would please come and spare him and bring him back to us. Um, we pray for Les Doyle and for his, um, for his T5, that for bone health, and that um, whatever was picked up in the scan would, uh, would actually not be cancerous, but would be something more benign. Um, we also pray, Lord, for Williams Crohn's disease, that you would heal him from that. Um, and we pray also for uh, Sarah Zuccotti and the whole Zuccotti clan. Um, we pray that you would please help this to be uh, just a, a, a one-day uh, sickness, and it would not spread throughout the whole family. Uh, we also, Lord, pray for the salvation for those, uh, those members of our families and our friends that, uh, that we know and love but that don't know or love you. We think specifically of Marin and Lauren, and there are so many more that aren't on this list, Lord. We ask that they would come to know you and love you. We pray for Trinity Church, the church that is planting us, for Pastor Hatcher and the session of elders overseeing the church plant. We pray, Father, you give them wisdom and courage in their own neighborhood and wisdom and courage as they plant, uh, plant this church with us down here. 
Uh, we pray, Lord, for each one of our covenant children in our midst. I pray, Lord, that they would all love you all the days of their life and that each one of them would never know a day where they didn't love you, where they didn't serve you faithfully. We also pray for the marriages in our midst. We pray that each marriage would represent well Christ in the church and speak the gospel clearly. We pray, Lord, for the total destruction and annihilation of the abortion industry. Lord, it's a ghoulish practice, and we are ashamed to call ourselves Americans who would do such a thing to our future. We pray, Father, you please bring it to an end. And I pray, Father, finally for strength um, in the midst of, pray we pray for strength uh, in, in the midst of intense suffering. Um, Lord, it has not reached us as much as it has other places, but domestically we, we, we hear about it and abroad, and we think specifically of James Coates. Uh, we pray that you'd please deliver him pr from prison as it has been promised. We pray for all of those, just like Pastor Coates, who are suffering under the hands of tyrants, that you'd please give them succor and aid and strengthen their faith. And yes, Lord, we also ask for their deliverance. Lord, thank you that we can bring our prayers and our petitions to you, and we can know with absolute certainty that you not only hear them, but you will answer them. We thank you for this. In the good and strong name of Jesus, amen. 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 All right, so we've been learning a song. Uh, it's called it's, uh, Psalm 24, and um, you'll notice that we've actually sang three psalms. Well, this will be the third psalm. And um, we, we're, we're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so we start with psalms. We want to we wanna, we wanna get good at the songs that God has written for us to sing. And once we know all of those songs, then we'll be that much better equipped to write really, really good hymns and spiritual songs. Um, so we're going to sing Psalm 124, and this is a metrical psalm. Um, the difference between a metrical psalm and a through-composed psalm would be a through-composed psalm would be you open up your King James Version Bible or your New King James, or, and you actually sing it straight out, of the, straight out of the Bible. That's hard to do. It's hard to teach everybody how to do that. So most of the time what we do is we put them to meter. And so this one is um, actually um, from the Genevan Psalter. And it is, if you look, you'll see there's three verses. But if you look at the little, the little text, you'll actually see that um, each line is, uh, uh, corresponds with the part of the psalm that it's in. Uh, it's a lit, for those of you guys who've never sang it before, it's got a little bit of an odd rhythm to it. And so we've been trying to sing this every week to get used to it. So um, I'm going to let you guys continue to sit down for this. I'm going to grab my guitar, and uh, we'll sing uh, Let Israel Now Say in Thankfulness. Now, as we sing this song, remember, this is the song. these are the songs of God's people. We are his people, and so these are our songs. Let Israel now say in thankfulness that is the Lord and not our right maintain. And if the Lord had not with us remained, when cruel men against us rose to strive, Surging flooding, proudly swelling roar. 
So the other thing that um, we're going to be missing here is Spencer's excellent wisdom on this discussion. So you're going to have to put up with me. So my apologies. We're going to move into our discussion portion. If we were, if we actually had a pastor, this would be probably the part where it'd be like a sermon. Um, we're not really doing that right now. What we've been going through is a book called Standing on the Promises. And the book Standing on the Promises is. Um, it's a book that is, uh, the subtitle is A Handbook of Biblical Child Rearing. And we're on chapter five. Um, for those of us, for those of you guys who are just joining us, so far we've had the first four chapters. First chapter was on a short overview of covenantal child rearing. The second one was on the promises of God to parents, and there are many. Um, the, third was, uh, the third chapter was the duties of parents before God. And the one we did last week, which uh, could have definitely used a lot more, a lot more time, uh, as Les pointed out, we could have used several weeks on it, was covenant continuity. The idea that God is a God of one covenant, of one people, and he doesn't switch back and forth between who his chosen people are. He sets out to save a people for his son, a bride for his son, and that is us. Um, and so that was last week. So this week we're going to be talking about the nature of the child and covenant nurture. Um, so it's in chapter 5 here. Before we get started, let's just, uh, why don't I just pray for the discussion. This is going to be very um, uh, collaborative. We're all going to be discussing together. We're going to be, uh, it's, it's not like a sermon where you're just going to listen to me. So let me open this up in prayer and um, we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Gracious uh, God, thank you for your word and thank you that the promise, uh, thank you for the many, many promises that you have made to us, your people. We pray, Father, that we would believe them and that it would change us because we believe them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, all right, so the real question comes down to, starts off with, uh, are our kids, kids of Christian parents, um, at least one Christian parent, are they short heathens or are they covenant children? Short heathens. Short heathens, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or are they kind of both? I guess it could be a, maybe you could think of them as kind of a mixture of the two. But, but no, Doug, Doug starts off by talking about... Um, uh, a lot of Christian parents look at their kids, the kids that God has um, promised great things for, and they look at them as just short little pagans um, because we associate salvation with intellect, with IQ. You have to get to a certain age before you can have faith. We know, of course, Jesus tells us something far different. Um, but should we be looking at our children as short heathens or unregenerate kids, or should we be seeing them as covenant children who should be treated somehow differently. What do you guys think? What's that? No, uh, no whispering, Mom. Covenant children, and I said, it's got to be the right answer. That's kind of right. Is that a loaded question? I think you let us just right there. Oh, yeah, okay. okay, we know the answer. Well, you know, uh, I would say uh, the only reason why I ask that, actually, is because 
I've talked with Christians who, who said, no, I, I think my kids are short heathens, and he was totally serious. <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, Christians could have, a, could have a different opinion on that. So um, it really is kind of the, the basis for the rest of the chapter, though. Um, are the kids of Christian parents any different than the kids of atheist parents or the kids of uh, Muslim parents? What do we think? I think that the way that you are to engage with them is different. I think that the salvation aspect, this is the thing that we were kind of struggling through last week, was the idea, does a covenant, does being in the covenant mean being regenerate, right? And I think that the big thing that I took away from reading the chapter was that we're looking for evidence, hmm. we're looking for fruit in our children, we're looking for ways to uh, either uh, affirm or correct to a more biblical standard of living, but ultimately it's a faith, it's a it's a faith exercise that needs to take place within the the heart of the the heart of the child. Absolutely, and a conversion that happens by the grace of God. Amen. So, I think that I think the default position I, I heard Pastor uh, all the trips that we went to once say that you want to. I want to start out by believing the best about the person. So you're believing the promises of God, but then you're also believing that God's promises will prevail in your in your children. And so you engage with them, correcting their sin, but telling them where to go with their sin. Because that's the other critical piece, is that you don't want to just be correcting sin all the time without actually telling them where to pin it. Good. Good. Other thoughts? On the just on kind of on the question of covenant children, heathens, somewhere in between. They have all the potential to sin, just like any of us. You know, so they're a heathen in that fact. Absolutely. Are they different than anyone else? Uh, if if we believe in this covenant, then we have to say yes, they are. Right. I would agree. Doesn't scripture in is it in Acts where it says they're holy because of their parents? First Corinthians. Yeah, read it nice and loud. First Corinthians seven fourteen. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Mm. So Doug has this Doug has this chapter broken down into about five sections. Um, the first is the nature of the child, and this is all children. Um, and, and so with what Thad just read from 1 Corinthians 7 in mind, um, he starts with bad news, which we all should start with, and that is that our children are naturally objects of wrath. Uh, that's, that's the thing that we need to remember. They're naturally objects of wrath, and cuteness aside, cuteness does not mean anything from eternity. He he makes the good point that every moral monster our, our people have had was once a cute baby or even maybe a hilarious toddler running around the living room. You know, Hitler was a cute baby at one time. So it's the nature of children, whether they're in the covenant or out of the covenant, is sin 
depravity, wickedness, every, I think he says in there, um, the only thing that they're lacking is intellect and um, oh, muscle. Yeah, and muscle. Great, great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, muscle, ideas, muscle maybe. Memory. Experience. Yeah, yeah maybe. Ideas. <laughs> he, uh, he, he calls them little bundles of unfocused sin. Yeah, <laughs> little bundle of sin. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good descri- des- description. It really is. Um, and it makes parenting easier when you when you realize this little beautiful baby that you God has given you is a little bundle of sin. <laughs> it's like you know what to expect. When you talk about comparing to Muslim Christian atheists, I think of the, the discipline of their minds that we're hoping to shape. Mm. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that's gonna uh, what we've been called to as as Christians is to shape their minds. Just the fathers are to train them up, to shape their minds in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2 applies to children as much as it does to yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think in 1 Corinthians, by calling our children saints, you know, it's faith that leads us to salvation. And if the kids, at whatever level they're not able to have, generate that faith, it's the parents' faith that cover them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's... Uh, I mean, I think this—that's what First Corinthians is saying—that it's your—it's the believing wife or the believing husband mm. or both. Yep. That—that's um, why that we can call the kids saints because they're under the faith of their yes. of their parents. And, and they're yep. set apart. Right? Yes. And that's what it refers to. I yep. That's what holy means is yeah, to be set, set apart, apart yeah. for God. And yeah. do, you, do you guys? Does anybody know what saint means? Uh, it's the Catholic name of a church. <laughs> I think he did, yeah. uh, or maybe hatched it. I can't remember, but it means called out ones. It means those who've been called out or called out ones. Saints are those who've been <laughs> called out. And so, have our have our children been called out to to the to, to the promises of God? And we would say yes. Um, he also makes the point in the first section of the child by nature is that it's not the fault of the neighbor kids. So if your kids start doing naughty things. It's not because it's not just because they may be, have been around the wrong crowd. Um, they uh, you don't ever have, have to go into the nursery and teach them to uh, steal toys or scream me 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 or anything like that. That comes naturally, and it's not the nasty neighbor kid that's that's corrupting your kid. Your heart your 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 kid's heart is rotten. Um, my mom texted me. I think it was last night. She said that uh, she said she loved the chapter because she said uh, she loved the line that says. Uh, God gives everyone rotten children. <laughs> of course, it's, yeah, that's right. She speaks from experience. <laughs> well, a teacher friend of ours says, if you have any doubt about your natural nature without God, just hang around a two-year-old for a while. Exactly. Sorry, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> but it is true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is true. Um, so yeah, it's not just the neighbor kids. So then, so then he talks about in the in the section on the child in the child in covenant. So, so there's this whole nature versus nurture debate that's going on in the secular world, um, and Doug actually combines the two quite quite nicely. He talks about the nature of the child, the nature of the child's wickedness, but the nurture of the covenant is what he ends with, which is where we're we're going. But before we get there, the first thing he does is he says that that child in the covenant has a distinction. And the distinction is cleanliness and uncleanliness, clean and unclean. And, and apparently, and this is, this is wild for, so this is a wild thing to think about. Apparently, that happens 
with just one believing parent. So when, when um, the, the unbelieving couple, um, one of them converts and they have children, those children are, as Thad was saying, under the covenant that God has made. Now, does that covenant automatically mean salvation? No, but it does change something about their status. And so under the child in, the, in covenant, he talks about covenantal status. And covenantal status and regeneration are two different things. You have covenant children, and then you have regenerate people or regenerate children as well. How do we, this is a question because Doug had some things to say on this, but how do we determine whether or not someone, and, and it's, not, it's not for us to decide, but how do we figure out if someone is regenerate? or likely regenerate, or how do we think about someone being regenerate? What are we looking for? Fruit. Fruit, absolutely. Humility. Humility, yep, absolutely, yep. Anything else? I mean, anything else that would make me think Luke's a Christian? Why would why would I even think that? So yeah, he's a nice guy. The looks proclamation, like he's yeah. the proclamation of the proclamation. gospel. Right? Exactly. The proclamation of Christ as your savior. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so he's professing that he's a Christian. He's telling us all, I believe in Jesus. And then, all of a sudden, and I've also got fruit to, to back it up. And, of course, God knows the heart. We don't know the heart. But we are supposed to make determinations. You'll know them by their fruit. And so a child's regenerate status is different than his covenant status. We, children are born into the covenant. If at least one of their parents is holy, they're born into the covenant. Now, what makes them regenerate is, what, at least the way we see, is we see their professions of faith, we see the fruit that they, that they, um, that they um, exhibit, but we also should be careful not to assume unregeneracy just because of sin. I mean, because Doug, Doug makes a good point, he's like, what if someone used that against us? <laughs> we sin, and so, oh, he's not unregenerate, I just saw him sin. No, of course, we, we would want to use the same standard um, of grace um, against our children that we would expect for ourselves. Um, and so then that leads into the, the, the child in grace. And I, I think one of the things, Andrew, that he, he says here at the beginning is really helpful. He says, covenant status is not an automatic ticket to heaven. It means something, but it's not an automatic ticket to heaven. Um, parents will lead some children in grace and others into grace. So some of your covenant children will never know a day that they didn't love Jesus. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be like the man who wakes up in its morning. The sun has already risen. He doesn't exactly know what time the sun came up, but it came up and he knows it's up because he can see it. Um, and others, it'll be like being, being awake when the sun comes up. You know exactly the day and the hour that, that Christ came in, Christ's spirit came in and changed that, that child. And, and he makes a point of, of, of making sure that we are on guard against looking for a flashy testimony. Boring testimonies are a blessing. Um, they're, a, they're a blessing, and they speak to God's faithfulness. We have a boring testimony. Praise God for that. That is a gift. Any thoughts on, uh, on the child um, just, in grace? Uh, I know exactly what you mean, and I agree with 100%, but there's no such thing as a boring testimony. Really, we need to get yeah. down to <laughs> Exactly. Nuance. You're right. <laughs> you know, Joan, I always think, you know, we have nuances in our story, but every Christian testimony begins with, because Christ, yeah. every one of us, yep. yeah. no yep. matter what your age or whatever, it's because Christ, because He, you know, that's how they all they all yeah. start. Or at least yeah. I think they should start. 
John the Baptist leaping in the womb. Why did he exactly. leap in the womb? Why was he filled? Because of Christ. Because <laughs> Christ was, was there. Yeah. That's great, Les. And I totally agree with you, yeah. you Thad. It's tongue-in-cheek to call it a boring yeah. testimony, but we don't have to be um, you know, uh, yeah. jealous of other people's flashy testimonies yeah. and, and praise God for the flashy testimonies. We're yes. thankful for those. Yes. Amen. But, the, yeah, anyways. Morris. Yeah, Morris <laughs> upcoming one, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, but... So there's a few objections. There's really actually only one objection, and the objection would be the sovereignty of God. Where does the sovereignty of God fit in all of this? And it's a good objection. So if you're having the objection like, um, well, if God's making promises about my covenant children, but those covenant promises aren't automatic tickets to heaven, where is the sovereignty of God in this, and, and why? what role do I play, and how can I even play a role in my child's salvation or anybody's salvation because God is sovereign? And those are good, those are good questions to um, to wrestle through. So what's our response? What do you guys think when you think when you wrestle with the idea of God being sovereign, sovereign over all things, and our children that he's made promises about, we know that they don't all, we know they're not all regenerate. We've, we've, seen, we've seen the fruit of, of kids falling away from the Lord. We know that happens. So how does this all fit with God's sovereignty? What do you have any thoughts on that? I think Luke said something one time that really struck me with the uh, Chatting about the the garden and the and the uh, uh, the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, and I was trying to overcomplicate that story. I think a bit because really what it comes down to is it comes down to obedience. And I think that what we're talking about here, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God and how this all interplays, I think that sometimes Christians can start to overcomplicate things. Usually as a method to justify some sort of other behavior that's outside of God's will. And so I think that this really kind of comes down to we're doing this out of, we're actually doing this out of obedience. We're being obedient children of God. And so I don't think that we need to, we need to overcomplicate it. God is sovereign over this thing. He's also called us to do this. It's the same contention that some might have with um, uh, um, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Okay? Well, what role do I play in that? The role is obedience. I'm called to do that. I'm called to be obedient in that. And so it's not my, it's not me forcing the Holy Spirit to cause a conversion in somebody else's heart. Certainly not. But it is my duty and joy to go do that. And so I think in the same way as parents when we're in the mission field of parenting, that's the same sort of principle that needs to be applied. We're asking for, uh, for we're asking for obedience from our children because we want to be obedient to Christ. Because ultimately, it's all pointing back to Him. Yeah. Good. No, I like it. This is kind of different, but when I think of the sovereignty of God, regardless of what, well, regardless of what happens. If we ask him and serve him, he can redeem us. Mm. So that's the lovely thing about God's sovereignty, yep. redemption. Yeah, you know, in this in the sovereignty of God, there's things that you aren't gonna talk about tonight and be able to explain. There's kind of a maybe I don't know what a good word is, maybe a parallelism because God chose Jacob over Esau. And yet, Esau didn't come out of the womb just going, 
totally focused on while I'm stuck. This, this is all I can do. He had opportunity to not give up his birthright, but how do I explain that with the sovereignty of God? That's where you kind of have to leave it. And so God is sovereign, and Esau did make his choices, and that's your answer. I mean, that's not a complete answer, but it's you figured the best it out. you can do. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I right. it's just gonna go. <laughs> you just start talking, and it came to me. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh hardens his own heart. It's, it's kind of like in concert. It's, nobody's, God made Pharaoh stubborn. Yeah, he made it stubborn. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I've often heard it referred to as a beautiful mystery, mm. that God is sovereign, but somehow he calls me to do stuff. Yep. And he asked me to pray and talk to him and bring things to him, and somehow that it talks about changing his heart. You know, I, how do I change a sovereign God's heart? I mean, but it says that I do somehow. So I, oh. it's just an incredible, beautiful mystery that I don't want to question. I just want to just rejoice and say, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to raise my kids, and I'm going to oh. believe my promises, and I'm going to do whatever this sovereign God says. And I don't understand how it all works out. Right. But I'm glad that he's sovereign, and I'm not. You, you I, don't, I couldn't work it out. Right? There's some things that have to do with timing, too, because when Jonah was um, not wanting to go to Nineveh because he was afraid God would deliver them and not destroy them, it just took another 120 years, and he did destroy Nineveh. <laughs> and, and how that all fits, I wouldn't know exactly, but, I mean... I'm not saying Jonah would have been pleased if he <laughs> I'm just saying that God, when God's at work, he's at work. And where's a yep. lot of stuff you take by faith. Yep. Amen. And, and as we connect this back to raising up covenantally faithful children, the, the connection is should give us great joy because as both as everybody is pointing out very well, the the fact is that God is sovereign, period. We know that to be true. And yet he calls us to do something, he calls us to believe. And for Christians, we're called to go out and make disciples of all the nations. And so we think, okay, we're going to go street preach. I'm going to go witness to my neighbor. And we know that if we, if we proclaim the gospel, that person may accept it. They may reject it. It's not up to us. The Holy Spirit's the one that's doing that. We don't have any promises when we go um, witness to the heathens. We do have promises when we're witnessing to our children. We have lots and lots of promises. So when you witness to your children, or as Doug says, you covenantally nurture them, you have all sorts of promises that you can trust in and believe. You don't have those when you're going out into the world and preaching on the street. God, God promises his word won't return void, but he doesn't promise you anything about that, that guy that's sitting there listening to you. But he does promise you things about your own children. And so that's the thing that we need to cling to. And he talks about how <clears throat> faith is an instrument. And, and when a lot of times we think that our faith is the thing, or we, we think of like faith as being the thing that saves us, but it's not the thing that saves us. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. But the instrument that God uses for salvation, for justification, is faith. It's by faith through grace that we've been, or with, by grace through faith that we've been saved. And so when we think about um, the, the, pro, uh, the uh, command in Romans about how will they ever hear the gospel if they don't have a preacher, we know that somebody needs to go and preach the gospel for people to ordinarily come into the kingdom. That's how people come into the kingdom. They hear the, they hear the gospel being preached, and they respond to that gospel. So in the same way, we know that we're supposed to play a part in this. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to believe the promises. We're supposed to do all of this in faith. Um, 
I, I, so I, I love that. It's, he, says, um, he says something like, we believe that preaching is ordinarily necessary in coming to salvation. So why is this easy to understand in adult pagans, you know, when we're preaching to adult pagans, but not with our own covenant children? Basically, it's like we've got a lot more promises with our covenant children than we do with the adult pagans. So I thought that was really, really helpful. Um, the last thing I wanted to, to, to finish with was the covenant instruction. He has a section on, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just thinking what you're saying as well. Back a little earlier in the chapter, uh, Doug says, talking about sin proceeds from the heart, he says, we must therefore always remember that discipline is not a substitute for the gospel. Yeah. Properly understood and applied, godly discipline is a God-ordained preparation for a right understanding of the gospel. So, I mean, this is all, just, it all just comes together yeah. in, the, in, the, in the whole process. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he talks about, Guarding against moralism. You know, if all you teach your kids are the imperatives of Scripture, do this, don't do that, do this, you're, you're going to in, inculcate in them a Phariseeism where they just think, hey, I'm saved by what I do, right or wrong, that kind of thing. So you have to have doctrine to be a part of it. You can't just preach Ephesians 4 through 6. You've got to preach Ephesians 1 through 3, and then, then it all makes sense in Ephesians 4 through 6. It's really good. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, as it comes to covenant instruction, I'd like to, um, there's, a, there's a lot of families in here that have little kids, um, and a lot of families that have um, kids who are out in the world, They've, and they are faithful, or maybe they're not faithful. And I would, I would love to hear from those people that have experience and have looked, and look back on the, their days of covenant, of, of nurturing their own children up in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and you know, what kinds of things can you, can you share in terms of like, practical ways of, of nurturing our children to love Jesus? It's, it's kind of a broad question, I know, but if you've, if you've raised children before, I know you've got, I know you've got wisdom to share. Well, Joe, from the, from the other side, let's say, you know, and I brought it up before, you know, I'm, I'm coming to understand a bit about the sins of the father, you know, being forwarded generationally you know again we we did not raise our children covenantally and we see we see that visited upon in this next generation and we're also seeing it now in our grandchildren as well this this deficit and absence of, of that and so again you guys have heard me say this we pray our guts out and I know you you all do too. So that's what we can do, and we do that. Like Dad was talking, we do it in faith. Yeah. Uh, we trust God, and, right. and I think God puts us often in, in, in situations where He goes, He's almost saying to us, "Are you going to trust me? Are you Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me to break this? Are you going to Are you going to trust me to stop it and correct it and redeem?" And you know what? Sometimes that's the best place to be is just all I can do is trust God. That's all I can do. And then do my best to be that image bearer the way we're supposed to be. I think uh, one of the things we did is nothing flashy, but just family rituals, mm -hmm. whether it's praying with each child individually before they go to sleep at night or reading around the table a story together. Mm -hmm or going to church on vacation, 
those are those things that your family does that makes you feel a part of God's family. Yeah. And they can be really simple. Right? Yeah. I think we do all of those things now. I wonder why. <laughs> Where did I get that? But I think at the same time, it, you can start new things, too, because I think Absolutely. we definitely do things that my parents didn't do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do things that my parents did do. I mean, so right. it's, it's good to think of that we can, we can begin now or, yeah. or, you know. And I think that uh, um, one thing that was a huge, I think, something the Lord really impressed upon me in the, and I'm not even sure where it began to be impressed but it's still being impressed that that what he's talking about um, I think on page 83 it says another trap to avoid is that of getting into sin while teaching. When teaching children a parent must discipline and teach simultaneously and that um, that it's impressed upon me that I need to when I'm disciplining my children there needs to be gospel in the discipline that I'm bringing I'm not just bringing the wrath of Papa to them. I'm I'm bringing mm-hmm. the I'm exposing their sin to them, but also bringing in forgiveness and yeah. um, you know that the whole gospel all together. And I think um, and it really gets ruined if you discipline in anger or in you know right. whatever. I mean, that just kind of short circuits the message. And so yeah. just kind of that impressing that upon right. you know how we talk to our kids and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it really is. We parented more for behavior and not for the heart. Mm-hmm. And I've seen with our grandchildren, we're really focusing more on showing them their sin and how mm-hmm. it's a struggle that, that each of us has even as adults. Right. That they're not alone. It's not that we're good and they're bad, mm-hmm. but that yeah. it's a, and how we clean ourselves and get back right with God. Yeah. It's essentially applying the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And then, We read Deuteronomy 6 uh, during our Old Testament reading today. Part of it was, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You are to surround your children with doctrine. Surround your children with the good news that Jesus loves them, and he loves them and has redeemed them from the pit. And he's promised them eternal life. And yes, that is something that, that they need to believe themselves. That's something that daddy believes. It's something that mama believes. And it's something that you uh, need to believe as well. Charles. Will you get eternal life whether you're a Christian or not? You just won't go to the same places. That's right. So Charles bringing up the point about eternal life. Um, eternal life exists whether you are saved or not. Mm. Your soul will never die. Your soul will outlast the sun. Um, uh, and it's, will you, will you um, spend eternity with the God who loves you and created you, or will you spend it separated from him? You know, thinking about uh, Lesson K, um, I can think of at least hundreds of things that we did absolutely horrible. At least hundreds? I wanted to say thousands, but my memory's so bad. <laughs> I mean, just a lot of stuff that was just, uh, you know, disciplining and anger and on and on it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, so so when we look at any of the kids that are a little older and I see things that maybe aren't 
too good. You know, they aren't quite conservative enough. Didn't quite turn into a Republican <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I just kind of go, well, that's part of what that happened there when I did that. I <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up because what comes to my mind is your child goes off and has psychology 101. No. And so I no, say to yeah. Paul, get ready because she's going to come home mm. and tell us everything wrong and how we ruined your life. Yeah. And that's a terrible thing to have happen. Mm -hmm. And so you got And you paid money for it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And so then you got to pull yourself out of the pit and go, you know, I, and how do you, you know, you ask God, how do you speak to her about yeah. that? Right. And yes, we make horrible mistakes, mm -hmm. but we're thinking we're doing yeah. our best. So... Give yourself grace. Yeah. We did it with a good heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you agree with what's true and apologize. <laughs> well, I think that is a really, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think one of the, I didn't even become a Christian until after we had kids. And I think one of the best things we did was enroll our oldest daughter in the school and then continue with all of our children until we started homeschooling. But um, the, the Christian school was more like <clears throat> the gospel message to my family mm -hmm. and yeah. that I didn't have available. Right? Yeah. I think something that was interesting that was brought up like the psychology 101 and just the, the institutions of higher education uh, that are um, disseminating partial truths. And I yep. think one of, the, one of the things that comes out of that is that when you start digging into psychology and all this other stuff, it, it's all fine and dandy behavior management stuff, but it actually doesn't get down to first principles. Mm -hmm. And when you start getting down to first principles about why you would do something like that or why you would choose to, then all of a sudden it, things start falling apart because mm -hmm. in a postmodern society where an ideology where truth is relativistic, on what foundational? What on what foundation are you basing right. your ideas on? And it's sinking sand. Mm -hmm. And so the moment that you start prodding, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? The beauty of covenant parenting, I think, is that there is an acknowledgement of our own fallen nature mixed in with this, because we need the grace just as much as the kid needs the grace. Mm -hmm. And so. The one of the things that I am I, I'm bad about disciplining in anger. I I, str I struggle with that um, immensely. Um, I ask for forgiveness from my kids mm -hmm. when I screw up in that way because I think that that's equally important for them to uh, to hear that dad knows that he's made mistakes too. Um, and so I think that yeah, it can be very easy get isolated uh, away from family being fed new ideas without a first principles understanding behind them and it becomes very easy to point the finger back at the obvious which is a broken and sinful parent <laughs> right yeah. well, I'm, I'm, I have a situation right now where my granddaughter is a product of a Christian home a Christian school mm. and she's finishing her studies at a State uni well, University in Texas. She's struggling. She's questioning everything and turning away. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, 
not completely turning away, but her her uh, point, her base of operation is completely changed. Mm -hmm. So They're you just have to keep praying yeah. and have yeah. faith and just remember that God holds us in his hand and he's not going to let us go. Well, when you go to a state school, you're you're being immersed mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. Let's face it, you're being inculcated, you're being indoctrinated, you're you're going to the school of Phil and Oprah, where you you're not responsible for anything. It's your dad's fault or it's your mom's fault that this is happening. That that's the war. You know, Charles kind of talked about eternity. That's the war. It's true, and that's you know, thank God for these young kids in here. These, these babies that are going to hear truth and they're going to be immersed in truth and they're going to learn to be responsible and they're going to learn to be accountable and all these things because it ain't happening out there. They're told what to think, not how to think yeah. in, in the state schools. And we're warring against that. Our war is against the spirit and the principalities behind all of that. Yep. That's except for the math department, though, right? Well, two and two is, two and two is five now. I know. It's, it's, it's sinking in there, too. I hear you. The child, the adult child, has to go through that battle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, yeah. And I think I, this is definitely anecdotal and experiential on my own part, having gone through college and then coming out. Um, I think that the opportunity and the temptation of sin that exists in that space where it's um, it's enjoyed and it I, I say enjoyed in air quotes by the way where where, the, where it's encouraged and what happens is is that the very true reality of sin separating you from God starts manifesting because as you start filling in that and I found that questioning my faith was never a matter of something intellectual. It was always a matter of sin. Mm -hmm. So I was digging into my own heart and going, the reason I'm questioning who God is and what he said is because I've allowed sin to infiltrate and be a, and temptation and be a barrier in between that. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the case there, because I do think that sometimes, I think that the intellectual arguments that get posed become more enticing when there is sin present in our lives because then it allows for us to justify things away. And that, and I, I speak that from experience, not necessarily like that's exactly what's you know going on in the struggle there, but I can tell you from my own life that that is definitely what was, what was happening. Yeah. I question, yep. is God really there? Right. Oh. When I was, uh, we did spend a lot of time with Young Life, and I can t not tell you how many conversations I've had with Young high school boys that they'd have all these crazy questions and I was pretty good kind of answering them you know but it always would come down at some point they'd say well I actually know what your teachings is true I just can't make the change right now I just know that if if I made the change it would, if, if I if I actually lived like I believe it would be, I have to change everything and I'm yeah. not ready to do that yeah. I've had I don't know I can't tell you how many conversations I had like that with Usually it happened at camp, and they get away from all their stuff, and they'd yeah. be sitting there going, I, I can't deny the truth of this. I mean, it's absolutely true. I, I believe it in my heart. I feel it, but I just can't make the change right mm -hmm. now. And it's the same thing you're saying. It's not, it's not a matter of it's not believable or I can't understand it. It just comes down to I, I can't let go of this yeah. sin. In so. addiction recovery, too, it's the same thing. You know, you, you go, if I quit 
this is what it's going to cost me. If I don't quit, this is what it's going to cost me. And kind of in the middle, you're, you're kind of, you're, there's a lot of tension, but you got to figure out what, which cost am I willing to pay? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to let my, my, my systems shut down and continue in this? Or am I willing to quit? And if I quit, now I've got I've got to abandon all these friends of mine. I've got to I I may not even be able to go to my own family functions because they're all in the same chaotic mess and all that. You got to count the cost. We, we always have to count the cost for this. So as we think about these things, and we're thinking about raising our children up to think like we're thinking now. You know, C.S. Lewis was talks about not expecting to have old heads on young shoulders. But we want them to have a certain level of wisdom that even though they don't know it the way we know it, they know that they can trust mom and dad. And they know more importantly than that, they can, they can trust Christ. And that does not happen overnight. And it, and, it, and it doesn't happen at summer camp. It doesn't happen at um, weekly church. It happens day in and day out, faithfully washing your, your family in the water of the word, washing those children in the water of the word. And you, you, there's no, there is no substitute for the time that it takes and the faith, believing that God will be true to his promises. You can't substitute those. I think that's why it's so important to go back to where we began, that we begin as knowledge that we're all sinners. Yep. Because the world wants to say, no, we're all actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's enticing. You want to, you know, that's, I think that's one of the enticing things about higher learning. You go out and say, oh, wait, I, I'm actually pretty good, okay. But I think we, it's really important to instill in our children that their acceptability is not based on their goodness. Because yeah. it ain't going to get them there. Yeah. But their acceptability is based on that God has chosen them, that, God, that they are God's own, and that, that you can, the, the, the mistakes are under the economy of God can mm. be forgiven. You know, and, and that that's where our identity is found, not in how good we can get or how good we can pretend to be. You know? Yep. Yeah, Maslow got it all wrong. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay, great. Any other thoughts on the book that we didn't talk about? <laughs> Nothing, right? Like you talked about it all. <laughs> I was just really thankful for this chapter because even from the beginning of the book, I've kind of like felt myself just pushing back on some of the ideas, like ah, that doesn't can't like sure. bring that full circle. Um, and, and just this question of like, how can my own merits have uh, like no bearing on my own salvation, but have implications in my children's salvation? Like that doesn't make any sense. So just as he laid out um, the grounds for salvation versus the instruments for salvation, yeah. that yes. was just really helpful yes. to me. Like, okay, this does make sense. And right. I believe that, like, like he talked right. about for adult believers, that makes sense. Preachers are instruments, parents are instruments. So it's yeah. just I, I agree. That was that was helpful for me as well. Yeah, thank you. So, <clears throat> the pinnacle of covenant renewal worship, covenant renewal. I'm trying not to slur. Covenant renewal worship. The pinnacle of it all is God feeding us Jesus. It's it's the communion. It's the peace meal with God, and that's why it kind of it does come at the end of our service and. We're not doing it yet. We're waiting on the providence of God. We're waiting until we are not just having a fellowship night, but we are actually having church. We're actually having covenant real worship. And, um, and so we are going to, we're, it's there, we see it, and we, we're praying for the Lord's providence there.
And so from communion, we get sent back out into the world. God says, go back out. And he gives us a charge. The charge is, do this. You know, I've got marching orders for you. And then he gives you a benediction. Or there's a benediction as well. Um, and that's a blessing. And, um, and then we're going to finish with the doxology, or the, the song of praise. So if you guys would rise for the charge and the benediction. Now this is from Psalm 128. And this is what we sang. This was um, this is what we're, we sing almost every week. We didn't sing it last week, but we sing it almost every week. So here's the blessing, the charge of the blessing. Here's the, the charge is this: believe this, people of God. This is your promise. What I'm about to read does not belong to a people 3,000 years ago, although it did. It belongs to you today. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Praise God from whom all blessings.